0: Welcome to uh, another episode of the Vampire Historian podcast. Uh, this is your host Dax Stokes, and I'm here today with uh, the guys of the How About That podcast, which is another podcast in Denton. Um, there is more than one, and um, we're going to talk today a little bit about their podcast, how they got started, and uh, just talk about vampire movies for a while and, and uh, kind of where the the genre is going and why it won't stop. Maybe <laughs> seems to go. So, uh,
1: why don't you just all introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, my name is Riley Cusick. I'm a co-host on here.
2: I'm Spencer Campbell, also a co-host.
1: Uh, my name is Zane McCabe. I'm like the
3: producer and a co-host. Is like, our chief? Yeah, right?
0: chief of the tribe. All right. Well, welcome to the podcast. Um, so let's just get started and talk a little bit about uh, your show. Um, how did you guys get started?
3: Um, so the whole idea was uh, a lot of us just like to make content. We were filmmakers. Mm-hmm. You know, we're writers, we do, you know, promotional stuff, we do short films, we want to do feature films, we do all sorts of content, and, uh, you know, we actively love talking about films and watching films, so the idea of a podcast was very interesting to me because it was a new medium to explore and to create content in, and we talk about films for hours on end normally, so we thought, why not make that into a format and then just have an open kind of discussion on a podcast and make it... You know, a film, or a podcast is about films, and us talking about films because we do it anyway. Why sure. not? You know. Huh. And
0: did you all know each other pretty well before you we started the podcast? Or
2: yeah, well, so me and Riley, we went to high school together, and then uh, our we're all in college together. And mm-hmm. our freshman semester, we saw uh, Xander make a couple different posts for some short films, and we ended up working with him on one of his projects. And from there, we got pretty close. And then we all decided to move into each, uh, into a house together. And uh, since then, yeah, we've yeah. just been making the podcast.
3: I brought Spencer on as a, a producer for a short film, and then uh, I was looking for casting for another short, and uh, Riley applied to it. I did not give him the role. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> and then was like, but there's this other thing that would be awesome, and then you guys knew each other, which I didn't know. And then we kind of just became friends, and we ended up uh, living together.
1: <laughs> now we got this nice little bromance thing yeah. going on.
3: sure. Were you
0: all into... Um theater and film like in high school then too and uh or in performing or were you just always interested in the other side of it Anybody? yeah
1: I, I started theater when i was like eight with this little theater group and the first play i did was into the woods mm-hmm. played the big bad wolf and um i kind of stuck with theater for a long time and it wasn't until i don't know I always loved film and it wasn't until high school when um I think I really made the transition I started focusing on studying that a lot more.
2: Yeah, for for me it was actually uh when I met Riley. Um like be, before I wanted to be uh, a doctor mm-hmm. uh, and I was doing a bunch of like uh medical research stuff. You could have had a real job. I could have. I could have. Thank God it turned out differently, but <laughs> um yeah, I met Riley and uh, he wanted to start a phone club and I helped him do that and uh then we Tried to make a Did short film, film yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like, uh yeah, it was just really fun, uh, especially production. I mean, that that was the thing; just uh, took me away. Most of it was just like a bunch of people who, with their own set of skills and experiences, coming together and trying to make something bigger than all of them and a culmination of all of them, and that was really cool for me. And yeah, yeah. so that's how I got started in it.
3: Uh, for myself, I'd um, I'd always been like the kid, some like early elementary school on that had like the camcorder and tried to make dumb videos with friends and tell some kind of story or make a joke out of something and uh then in middle school i did theater and uh then going into high school i had the the option to do both in Mm -hmm. school so i was every day i was either staying after school to do theater rehearsals or skipping english class to go to my film class and work on projects uh, it was at the point where I almost failed out of high school because of the fact that I would skip class, not to go, you know, smoke pop behind the school like everyone else did, but just to go hide in the editing room and work sure. on little shorts and things like that. Uh, and that was always a that idea of creating something was always like the 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 appeal of it to me because even with like a stage show, you're still creating something for somebody to experience and to share a moment with that was always my interest there i do. i uh
0: i direct musical theater quite a bit um so but i, I don't go on stage <laughs> yeah. if i can help it i try to a few times i had to uh um uh, when i was a graduate student i had to conduct on stage music in an opera once and i had to be in costume and i hated it uh, yeah. more than anything so i always applaud the people that can be on on that side uh, as opposed to behind the scenes but um
2: Yeah, Riley's really the big one for, like, in front of the camera and Mm -hmm. uh, on stage and all that. He's our, like,
1: actor expert. That's where I started out, and I've Mm kind of stayed there. I'm curious, as the vampire historian, Mm -hmm. do you own a vampire costume?
0: No, I don't do costumes uh, myself much at all. Um, Guys, he's lying to you. He's in a big vampire costume (laughs) right now,
2: like, right this second.
0: (laughs) Uh, No, I don't, um, you know, I don't even own a... Hair of plastic fangs now my son has a vampire costume um much awesome. to my wife's uh dismay uh, <laughs> uh, i keep uh, all of my vampire everything is at, is at work uh my entire library hundreds of books i keep all of it in my office at work because it's not supposed to be in the house <laughs> and uh, my uh my mother who loves to claim that she's the one who got me started on a uh, horror and vampires um you know, she probably is the ones who introduced my own kids to, to vampires too. Uh so but no, I, I don't uh I I don't I probably haven't dressed up as a vampire since I was about eleven or twelve and that was that would have been Kiefer Sutherland from the Lost Boys probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but um other than that though no, I don't uh I, I I find that lifestyle pretty interesting and, and actually that's what we call those people, the ones who dress up, we call them lifestylers. Uh, yeah in the in the in this world and uh hmm. um you know, they're not necessarily LARPers, although a lot of them are, and they're not necessarily the people who think they're vampires, although some of them are. Um, but I, I've interacted with them a little bit, and they have parties down in Dallas, and uh, um, there's a guy who makes fangs for a living for people, you know, um, uh, and uh, I've interviewed him on the podcast, and I talk to him a lot. He's pretty big in the vampire community, and uh, so there are those people, and I do interact with them, but I I, I don't... Um, I don't get involved with the vampire community on that side of it. And yeah. definitely don't dress up. I, don't, I hardly ever dress up in any costumes. My my Halloween costumes are usually like, what can I wear that's normal that I can then say is a Halloween costume. Yeah, you, you enjoy so,
3: the work. You don't want to be the work. Right, exactly. Awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the last big Halloween costume I did was I carried around a stapler. Instead, I was that guy from Office Space, Milton. You know, and I was like, they took my That's stapler. Awesome. Yeah. I wore a tie, and I was like, it's normal outfit. So. You were
2: Dracula, Spencer, from I was. last Halloween. Yes. We were we the
3: uh, Universal Monsters. and Yes.
2: Mm-hmm. For one of the days, I was Dracula, and for one of the days, I was a sexy sailor. So, you know, like, pretty pretty on par with the same <laughs> I mean, kind of themes. Paul, was that thing of Dracula taking the boat down London? Yeah. You know? no, That's true. I was his chauffeur. Yeah. I was his chauffeur.
3: <laughs> <laughs> his chauffeur. Awesome. Awesome.
0: So um when you guys started the podcast was it a big learning curve or since you already knew a lot of the technical
2: stuff from film was it pretty easy to get started? I think um I think there's been a pretty steady progression in the quality of content that we've mm-hmm. made as far as like actual things that we've learned in it though like I felt like it was more just like uh, yeah, it was just more like over time we just got better and better at it. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't like there were things we needed to like fix right away. Mm-hmm. Like we didn't have any like glaring problems at the
1: beginning of it. Um, None that we've noticed. Not yeah.
2: yeah, I mean, if maybe we're <laughs> terrible. And yeah. always, like, I mean, you I guys, just garbage. Yeah.
1: Right? <laughs> I mean, uh, to, to describe to
0: the audience, you guys have a great setup. You know, you've got a mostly soundproof room. You've got really nice microphones. Everything running through the computer. Has, did you guys always have this setup, or did you start out with? you know, like a, this a is voice new, the recorder room right now. The yeah, room, is, the, new, room yeah. is new. The uh, room is
2: new. This is like our third use of the room.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, like yourself, I do music as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of starting out with music was, uh, for me, was you can't afford to go to a studio. So whenever you had a band, you wanted to record a song. Right. It was buy the $100 interface and a mm-hmm. couple mics and then try to set up the room where it didn't sound awful and mm-hmm. parents' garage kind of thing. and hit some drums and track it and mix it and make it kind of even. So, it, to me, it was the exact same kind of idea. You know, so we just use a little four-channel interface, a mm-hmm. couple cheap mics on stands, throw on a pop filter so it doesn't sound like we're, like, punching you in the face or trying sure. to use the letter P, you know. And um, this, this room that we kind of, you know, set up recently, the whole idea of it was, like, half of it's just moving blankets, mm-hmm. you know, from doing, like, short films. But the room we were in before was just this big extra room that we had. So, like, there's like a noticeable difference, I think, when you listen to the last few episodes we've done and the ones from before that, because it doesn't sound super reverby. Sure. Because it used to be there our sound traveled mm-hmm. everywhere in the room. So, idea yeah, was just we're in a smaller room now, so that's like really it. But beyond that, it's just like, it's a ping pong ball yeah. table, you know, bought yeah. from Walmart, you know. I think
0: most podcasts progress like that. I mean, yeah. my first microphone was the condenser mic, and I recorded the first episode like one o'clock in the morning. You know, when I was like, everybody's asleep, and yeah. this, but you can still hear because it, it's a condenser. You can still hear my dog breathing like halfway across the house because oh, yeah. it's picking up everything. So I went to I actually went to a podcasting conference, and that's when I was like, you should get dynamic mics and you yeah. know all this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh, let's get this whole you know and change my whole setup about. In, you know three or four episodes in and I've got this friend who keeps telling me like I hope your sound quality's gotten better you know every time and I'm like it has yeah you know keep listening I <laughs>
2: think I think one of the improvements we've had that isn't sound related and that a lot of our audience doesn't get their experience is the lights actually work in here oh yeah, yeah the, the other room there were no lights and then like for a brief period of time when the lights did work it felt like it was haunted in there yeah, it like they just just flicker. like only when we're doing the episode though mm-hmm. it yeah. started
3: affecting the power that went to our mics and everything like that right. yeah, so. it used to be just a sad lamp on the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: Just one lamp too. We never got yeah, any more than it.
3: As much as I feel like we have kind of like a setup for me investing in that was more to like see what level of professional we could make. But really, it does come down. I still believe that it comes down to the actual content of the show. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, some friends of ours uh, run a podcast called the Twilight Zone Zone Podcast mm-hmm. about Twilight Zone. The way they do it is they just sit in the living room of their apartment. Put a single microphone on table and have like two or three guests and just right. start talking. You know, it doesn't. It, but their the show is really really good because sure. the content's there, mm-hmm. right? So at the end of the day, you can have a whole fancy setup, but if your show is like, let me just read you like funny things I saw on the internet today, like it's probably not going to be that great of a show. Mm-hmm. You know, so the setup I unless
2: they're like, really funny things, really
3: funny things <laughs> in But I think when it comes down to the podcasting medium, it really is about the show itself. You know, this is just all flair and fun sure. for us more than anything. <laughs> You
0: know. So your, your first episode or two, you didn't have guests, right? It was just – yeah. I just picked a movie. How did you pick The Wolfman for your first movie?
2: We just, like – it. we were just with a bunch of people, and we were watching The Wolfman. And this just happened to be very serendipitous with, like, the time that we were starting the podcast. And we're like, we just did The Wolfman. Uh, it's fresh in our minds. Let's have this be the first episode. Yeah. and then we named our podcast after it. Yeah, why I don't we, think we even
3: had the name the first episode. I think the name came from afterwards. We were like trying to think of a name, and well, no, wait, and we, I, we, were, we were like joking about making it a pun, and then you are like, "We did just watch the Wolf Man. Why don't we call it How about that?" And we we're like, <laughs> "Why not?"
2: You know, it it didn't come that smoothly. unfortunately. It was Thirty minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it was a lot long, longer yeah. than that. Where we're just like naming horrible, horrible puns, and this just happened to be a good kind of horrible. I think so.
3: Mm. It's yeah. all, it was all the timeline of that,
0: yep. so what 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 made you uh decide to add guests and start letting them pick the movies?
1: I think that was oh you know what I'm saying I just think perspective mm-hmm. I think is really interesting, like for yourself talking about Dracula, you know we we could sit around and talk about it, but to bring on a vampire historian mm-hmm. and someone who was actually like taught that is just something that it adds a lot to that, and I think it gives people listening. I think it gives them a lot more to take away and like they can really delve into this film and not just listen to us mm-hmm. talk about the same kind of things and we can kind of push people and and then the i guess the idea is that you know we'll eventually talk to more writers and directors and people creating content and mm-hmm. talk about like where that comes from for them yeah and yeah Let's us meet people too.
0: I think so far most of the most of your episodes that I've listened to, have, I guess, have probably just been some of your friends that have come on. But it's it's really interesting and, and enjoyable to listen to. Yeah, um, and I think they've all been uh, women so far. All the episodes I've listened to. Almost.
2: Good, men, yeah. Yeah, we usually have a lot more men on the show <laughs> yeah. than yeah. other.
0: I guess I've probably just – maybe that says something about the movies I watch. I yeah.
3: <laughs> but beyond the, the guest <clears throat> strategy uh, perspective, because that is like the main part of it, is mm-hmm. we have people from different backgrounds, and a lot of them are close friends with us, but uh, they're all some cor- kind of creator. So we've mm-hmm. had comedians, we've had musicians, we've had writers – you know, we've Special effect makeup artists. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've had a you know even directors that have had films screened at Frightmare. They come on and we make new friendships that way too. Mm-hmm. But the I, the appeal of it too is our guest, You know, as you did on our show today, mm-hmm. you pick the movie. So the idea was to me too that if we pick the movie every time, there's going to be a pattern. Mm-hmm. But if we do the thing where our guest brings the movie to us, it's really a grab bag of what's going to show up. Sure. So it is the thing where like when we're doing our show, we started with the Wolfman. Next episode's Blair Witch. You know, and then it'll go into The Thing and it'll go to Creature of Black Lagoon then it'll go to Gremlins we did Scooby-Doo two weeks ago mm-hmm. You know, it's really all about who brings us The Thing and usually the cool thing about that is like yourself you have a passion for it mm-hmm. right? so it's like one of those things that if we just pick a movie and we have a guest on the guest is like I really don't have anything to say about this movie that's not good right. content yeah. but if they come in and they're like Nightmare on Elm Street is the one that changed my life here's why it's awesome you know mm-hmm. do you hear that
0: did you, um, were you always going to do mostly horror from the beginning or did that come like after just doing the Wolfman or?
1: No, I was, I was talking about it in the very yeah. beginning, just, just pitching, like started with like, we should do a podcast over something. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think came from mostly Xander has a, I think the biggest background in horror, and so that one made the most sense it's, for... it's just
3: my favorite genre and then yeah. there was a, a kind of strategic thing there too of by doing horror films it's a broad enough thing but also has a niche to it too mm-hmm. so I mean, if we just did movies you know you, you show up because you saw oh we're doing Fast and the Furious and then next week we're doing Pride and Prejudice may not be the kind of thing you're looking mm-hmm. for even with horror films we'll have people be like hey you know I didn't really want to hear about Gremlins but I'm totally down here about Friday the 13th but uh, when we do horror, it's a broad enough thing so that, like, if you don't like the slasher films, we're there with gremlins. Mm-hmm. We've got Scooby-Doo for you. You know, we've got Dracula, you know. But, uh, b- you know, but it's also, like, a narrow enough thing, or broad enough where everyone can be there, but narrow enough that it's not, like, you have no clue what to expect.
2: Sure. I think also that what you get with it is, uh, I think horror uh, genre is kind of like... Um, thrown away a lot in the mainstream as like a uh, uh, genre that doesn't really uh, isn't really considered to have a lot of merit to mm-hmm. um, and I think that there is a lot to talk about with it and a lot of uh, different perspectives that uh, come with that so it's uh, interesting to like be able to talk about it with people who are way more involved with that culture than us and then talk about it with people who are less involved but still have that mm-hmm. uh, entry point because everybody has an entry point with the horror genre somewhere and uh, it's just like a nice diffusion of like what everybody gets from the horror genre. Yeah. And it comes that
3: the idea too that everybody's scared of something. Sure. You know at the end of the day somebody has a fear and even if you don't like horror films there's something that gives you a thrill in it mm-hmm. and it's also the idea that as a genre it's on its own. There are like cohesive themes. Action movies that are like the same tropes, but not necessarily the same themes throughout mm-hmm. every action film. Uh,
0: you know, I think a lot of horror movies are actually more believable than Fast and the Furious, anyway. So, it's, yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Uh, the later one, saying, yeah. Those are the. Those are the, the last two have been the most unbelievable movies I've ever seen in my life. So. I'm just – I'm <laughs> waiting
2: because, like, they've got more coming. And I'm They're waiting do, for them right? to go to space. Like, that's that's what I'm expecting. Like, the <laughs> they, amount of they took ridiculous –
3: the 13th the space, they'll
0: take they, they they took Drac- I hope so. They took Dracula to space, too, in yeah. Dracula 3000, <laughs> which has nothing to do wow. with Dracula 2000 yeah. or anything. <laughs> I think Udo Kira actually is in Dracula 3000. <laughs> um, awesome. To bring that back. So uh, let's talk a little bit then about um, – you know, where vampires fit into the horror genre, and mm-hmm. um, maybe uh, to start off, like, what are your kind of favorite vampire movies, if you have one, or maybe you don't like them at all? I
3: don't know. Um, a very big game changer for me was Nosferatu, because when I first kind of became interested in film as a medium, um, the teacher that I had in high school very much directed me towards old filmmaking techniques. Mm-hmm going back to like the Kuleshov effect and very early tricks of cinema, and one of the first scenes I ever, I think I can remember like really looking at is in, from an analysis point, is the scene in Nosferatu where you have the doorway. We cut back and forth mm. to the door and how that use of the cut creates the horror in that scene. And uh, For me, Nosferatu uh, not only is like a really good film and I really enjoy it, it very much influenced my way of thinking about film. I actually have a tattoo of Nosferatu on the back of my mm. leg as my other legs Alfred Hitchcock those are like the two things that immediately <laughs> blew my mind that were like oh this is what you can do with this medium you know and yeah. it,
0: that's that's such a you know that's such an important movie um, that we're not even supposed to have because yes. it was supposed to have been burned you know um cuz again uh, that since they weren't in America it was copyrighted and uh you know, um Murnau had to change all the names of the characters and still lost the lawsuit and was supposed to destroy all the copies and two, two different versions survived. And I think one is 19 minutes longer than the other. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so many different, uh, um, versions and soundtracks. Uh, and, um, the newer versions actually changed the names back to Dracula, mm-hmm. um, in, in the, in the text on the screen. So that's, uh, yeah, that's still, and then, and then of course it was remade, um, you know, in 79, um, with Klaus Kinski yeah. And, uh, where they actually oh, called him Dracula in that one, too. And, um, yeah, it's, it's such an important movie, and I think most people, a lot of people still say it's the scariest horror movie to some people ever yeah. made, you know, even though it's silent and there's no blood or anything like that. But, uh, you and know, I, mean, I, the I use, I use the image yeah. of him, of the shadow on the stairs. I use that for all that's, kinds of stuff. That's what know? my tattoo is of, is yeah. that silhouette. So. What about you two? Um...
2: I don't know that there's any movie in particular, but I do like what uh, vampirism uh, has done for the horror genre as a whole, especially when you got into, like, the time period of the romantic vampire. Mm-hmm. Um, that has definitely big been a big influence on sexuality in horror films and, like, exploration of, uh, like, this combination of, like, uh, gore and horror with uh, human sexuality. And uh, I think that it's... Made a lot of uh, interesting uh, commentary and psychoanalysis for film. And I I think that's like, I I have a lot of appreciation Mm -hmm. for that coming from this.
0: Well, those have always been, you know, intertwined. I mean, you can't get much more intimate than, you know, exchanging blood like that. And so it's always been entwined with, you know, sexuality in in many ways. And again, the the stories themselves, um, you know, the before predating dracula you know carmilla's a story about a female vampire who's in love with another young girl and uh you know that's that's gone on to create a whole separate genre from dracula of uh of movies too so it's it's always been intertwined um Except for in in the Lugosi version, I, I would say it's about the even Nosferatu you, you has, has a little bit of that admiration, but you don't really get a sexual vibe from Bella mm-hmm. Lagosi in many ways. Uh, some people might, but uh, I don't when I watch that version. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, 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 it's yeah, not yeah.
2: prevalent throughout all of it. But I definitely right. think uh, there are those movies that like more directly address it, mm-hmm. um, oh, which for sure. yeah, uh, plays into a lot of more modern horror films. Mm-hmm. I think it's
3: also so. the aspect of the like the idea of, like the gothic imagery. Right, it is very regal, but it's very dark. It is like the taboo, right? It is very much in the case of like Dracula. It's the house on the hill, the space you're not supposed to go, or you know, the villagers say don't go there. It's very, mm-hmm. you know, there's, you know, it's just count Dracula's up there, but we don't know something's up, but we kind of know something's up. Don't do it, you know. It's the it's the taboo. It's the secrecy. It's all the dark imagery that kind of adds to that, the sexual kind of aspect of it too. Yeah, Sensual, more than sexual.
1: Yeah. yeah. I, I think for me, I distinctly remember my dad sitting me down and having me watch The Lost Boys. Mm-hmm. I think that that was probably a big one for me. And I, it was kind of the coming-of-age gram- vampire film that I saw. And uh, coming-of-age films and, like, James Dean stuff was always something that I really loved. And so that, that kind of introduced me to the genre. And since then, I've really liked it. I, I um... I think I especially like 30 Days a Night. That was another one that really mm-hmm. resonated with me. But, uh, yeah, that and The Lost Boys.
2: And a Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, too, is the one you've been raving about yeah, recently. Yeah, that was, that
1: was a, a newer one, but um, Girl Walks Home Alone at Night I thought was a really fantastic modern vampire film. Yeah, that one, um, Byzantium and... Uh
0: you know, only lovers left alive, and then probably let the right one in. Mm-hmm. Most people are saying now are those those are the four best vampire movies mm-hmm. ever made, and that's probably more of, along the idea of yeah a well made film with good storyline and yeah. good filmmaking and the art part of it. You know, and in a lot of ways they're not even really that big of vampire films. I mean, sometimes they don't even you know kill anybody. Yeah, in uh, those things. So they're all they're also different, but those those four especially get talked about quite a bit um you know uh and there's the in the korean film thirst um about a priest who becomes a vampire um those are kind of the big five modern vampire movies that are supposed to be the 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 best um the lost boys is what got me started on vampires period was it really um i mean i was i was the perfect age for that uh when it came out um perfect age back then today it's it's not a movie that i would show my own kids the same age but you know the 80s were quite different and we watched yeah. everything back then um but that movie really kind of changed it and it's such an important uh, film in general it, it was the first kind of vampire movie to feature you know younger vampires yeah. i mean near dark was before that it was a little bit different this one actually kind of romanticized the vampire it, it was cool to be the Mm -hmm. cool young vampire on your motorcycle. And, you know, they were all, Kiefer Sutherland was 18 when he made that, 18 or 19 when he made that movie. Um, And uh, it's the first movie of the Corys. It's it's where the Corys met uh, and started off their whole line of 80s movies. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, uh, I don't know if they're going to do this TV show they keep talking about, but they're supposed to be making a TV show of it finally. um, That may be The Lost Girls, which is what, shoemaker really uh kind of wanted to do um uh, the, there was supposed to be a sequel of the lost girls after hmm. the original one but instead cory feldman made sequels you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that are really bad but yeah the lost boys was a is a really important uh um i think it, it really helped to change and start this whole next generation of you know i think that really helped lead to buffy and things like that you know
2: you know what I find, what I find very interesting about the uh vampire uh, especially as it's like progressed throughout the horror film is like the fact that it has been timeless and that it's like stuck it's been prevalent in the genre over the years um we've gotten like a lot of really interesting iterations of vampires mm-hmm. like we've had like uh comedies we've had horror we've had action we've had like a whole bunch of uh, different variety um And uh, it, th- I think that's one of the things that I really appreciate of it is, like, you can almost, like, see uh, how horror has evolved over the years just by looking at the vampire film mm-hmm. specifically.
0: Yeah, and some of them are way gorier than others, you know, and they, they um, you know, can follow along. And sometimes the vampires are way more um, – a lot of times I say vampires, you know, kind of resemble our fears of that generation, of that time. And, you know, uh, you know, take Near Dark, for instance, in the mid-'80s. You've got uh, this you know group of just totally vicious people just roaming around the country just going crazy and killing people. And, you know, Bill Paxton's character is yeah. one of the most fierce vampires probably ever on film, just doesn't care. You know, Dracula, at least as a character, most of the time isn't just all, I'm just going to kill everybody like they are in some. Uh, and you brought up 30 Days of Night, which is... Uh, there's there's been a few movies over the past you know ten or fifteen years that have been really interesting and ahead of these great storylines. I think Thirty Days of Night is the one. Of course, it comes from the comic, um, but that idea of you know why haven't vampires ever thought about just going up to Alaska? Yeah, you know, and killing everybody. Um, Daybreakers, which was another movie that a lot of people just didn't even notice, is mm-hmm. a, such an interesting story that the vampires are um, the majority and it has the the best opening scene, mm-hmm. you know, where it's daytime and there's nobody out. And then all of a sudden nighttime and the vampires go to work and they go to the coffee shop or whatever. And, you know, and, uh, you know, True Blood to, a, to, a extent, you know, kind of takes an interesting take on it too. So there's so many people who are trying to change it now and, and make, you know, something interesting in the story. Cause you do, and, and even, I mean, you have to give Twilight at least a little bit of credit for that. Yeah. Um, you know, of, of. Uh, you know, trying to find something different instead of just making the same movie over and over again, which is what a lot of people still do.
2: Yeah, right? uh, one of the one of the big ones that I've seen recently that like tried to do something different was uh, What We Do in the Shadows, which
1: this is, is like the best
2: uh, movie. Uh, yeah, just a documentary <laughs> about uh, vampires, which is like which is great because you're just taking this like uh, classic horror monster that's supposed to be like. Um, uh, hypersexuals in a lot of mm-hmm. iterations and like uh, uh, brutal and scary but also like smooth and whatnot and they're just like getting rid of all of that and making these just right. like awkward characters and like making fun of the tropes but also like paying homage to them mm-hmm. and uh, yeah it's just like something you get with uh, uh, genres but more specifically like uh, subgenres like this that persist throughout time is uh, people become a lot more aware of them and can do a lot more with them as time mm-hmm. goes on yeah, that
0: movie is great because you do get all the iterations from the eight thousand year old Nosferatu vampire to the guy who's obviously supposed to be Dracula, you know, and then to the to the the other two, and then the the newer vampires.
3: This book that you have brought, sure. Oh yeah, are also using as a, as a coaster. Yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, so I have um, uh, it's it's a fairly okay library. I have about two hundred. Books about vampires and Dracula, probably. That's more than anyone I've ever met. <laughs> um, uh, in in Waco is probably the largest collection of vampire books that you'll ever find. There's a professor at Baylor who wrote literally a book called The Vampire Book. It's an encyclopedia, oh, and wow. he has his house is about eight thousand books, ten thousand comics, about eight hundred DVDs just on vampires. Holy Dang. crap! Yeah. Have you had him on your show. Uh, not yet. Well, I've, I've done a show about him, okay. and I've been to yeah. his house several times, and he's one of the speakers at our conference next week. But this book That's is awesome. this book I brought today is called "Count Dracula Goes to the Movies," um, Stoker's novel, adapted nineteen twenty two nineteen ninety five, um, and I brought it to just in case I wanted to look at some dates or anything. Yeah, yeah. But it's a uh, um, and and we just previously talked about on on your show Bram Stoker's Dracula from ninety two. This author hates that movie. And um, <laughs> if you want to hear something really funny, it's uh, here's a direct quote. Um, Bram Stoker's Dracula is a wretched movie truly deserving of everyone's contempt. Um, it is a deeply frustrating film because despite its close adherence to the novel and most of its particulars, uh, despite the large budget and enormous amount of talent that were invested, the result is an overlong confusing film in which virtually nothing works from beginning to end. And, uh, I disagree with most of that. That's but, a pretty brutal <laughs> review know, of that. It, uh, it's uh, But... You know, this kind of goes through. It's just it's one of several movies I uh, books I have about vampire film and uh Dracula movies, but uh awesome. um yeah, you know, he definitely thinks that the the 77 version of Dracula is the the only one you should you should consider but yeah. it's a it's a hard one to watch if you've never seen it. Um Louis Jourdan is great. Uh there's two things about the movie. Um Mina pants really loud the whole movie and you don't know what she's supposed to be doing, <laughs> you know what's going on. I when I was watching it the first time, my wife was like, "What are you watching in there?" and you know? I was like, "Yeah, sorry, she's just sitting there and doing nothing." Uh, and then every time he is going to bite somebody, it goes into this weird '70s psychedelic um, colored screen thing where his face turns like orange and red and blue, and it's really strange. So there's weird effects in different movies, but um, um, so we we talked a little bit about on your show about Dracula, um, and and I talked about my favorite Dracula is Gary Oldman. But what do you guys think about Dracula? Like Do you have a specific version? One that you you like the best?
1: I thought Gary Oldman kind of blew my mind Mm -hmm. as Dracula. I thought that he was pretty unrecognizable as that character. And, uh, yeah, I think that he he took it in the... Like, if I'm thinking about just classic Dracula, that's who my mind would go Mm -hmm. to. Do you feel like that's partially
3: because of the actual performance that he does? Because, I mean, you're... Uh, I Our think his performance is
1: just really good. Yeah. yeah, like the fact that he he talked with some like singing lessons just to lower the octave of mm-hmm. his voice to speak for that thing, and just the amount of work that he put into that I think is more than yeah, any mm-hmm. other actor has put into that right. performance. And so
0: many people, I mean, with him and everything, you know, sometimes I'll tell people uh, it's it's hard to tell Gary Oldman anything. I show my music students sometimes the immortal beloved where he plays Beethoven. Mm-hmm. And they're like, who is that? And I was like, it's serious black. And they're like,
3: Oh, Hey, well, that's serious black. Mm-hmm. I was like, he was
0: also Dracula before they are like, no way yeah. it's, it's, you know, he does such a good job. and Um, yeah, he, he is, he fought a lot with Coppola, you know, a lot on set quite a bit about how certain things are done. And they, they have a recording of it in special features where he just, he refused to say this line when Coppola wanted him to, he just said, I just, you know he's like just say the line and that's when you move and he's like but i wouldn't say it there and he's like uh-huh. just say it. you're supposed to say the line. Oh, yeah. they were just going back and forth and and they're like you know we were they i respect him and yeah you know, <laughs> yeah you know it's uh yeah he did such a great job but what about you guys uh
3: i mean for me it's definitely bella mm-hmm. and it's not just because of the classic depiction that people kind of associate with it but it's uh, more about the man himself that uh you know he his acting career is being Bello you know yeah. is being Dracula. You know he did a bunch of other movies, right? But that was that was the peak of it. You know his whole theater background was doing Dracula, and um, you know that's all he wanted to do after that film. And I think the the kind of thing I like about that movie in particular and how it portrays Belugosi, is uh, it takes very much that '30s Universal style of shooting, where it's just uh, camera in room film you know somebody doing the action. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of camera movement, there's not a lot of cinematic trickery. It's just the setup and let's have our actors be our actors. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the idea of like let's cut to the close up, it very rarely exists in that film. It's more like let's just capture this person being this character. So that film totally relies on him being Dracula. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those things where it's clear to him, too, like to belagozi that like that character was such a key part of him, and he invested so much in that character that that character kind of in, ended up taking over his own personality after that film. Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't really credit that to like an acting technique being like, yeah, totally become your character afterwards, but like he became so ingrained into it that it wasn't acting anymore. It very much felt like somebody really being the actual Dracula.
2: Sure. Uh, for me, I'm just going to have to agree with Riley. I, I haven't, like, uh, have as an extensive experience with, with vampire movies as uh, mm-hmm. these two, but, uh, like, when I think Dracula, um, in a classical sense, uh, Gary Oldman's performance was just that. Like, it was like, he, he like, really embodied what that character was, and, uh, uh, yeah, he was just very spot on and gave a very iconic performance there. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Christopher Lee, you know, for mm-hmm. so many people, is is Dracula. But if you um, if you don't watch all of the movies, or you don't watch at least Horror of Dracula, you don't get a whole lot from him. He, you know, very famously signed up, you know, was was contracted to do several movies, and he started Horror of Dracula it was in '58, and he made them all the way through '72, um, which Dracula AD '72 is one of the funniest movies you'll ever see. Yeah, um, but. They, the rest of them were so poorly written and he had become so famous doing other things that um, he refused to say the lines that they wrote in all the other movies past the first one. And so Christopher Lee hardly ever speaks in any other Dracula movie that he did. And he did eight Yeah, um, that's impressive. movies where he played Dracula and he only spoke really in the first one. Um, but he did, uh, somehow in 1970, he made two Dracula movies, one for Hammer and he did this other one, um, this uh, Jess Franco's, uh, Count Dracula, which is, is a totally different kind of film. Um, and then he also did a documentary that year called In Search of Dracula, which is really, really quite interesting, where he actually played Vlad the Impaler on screen mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, and of course, went on to, you know, Christopher Lee, There has so many other things that define his career besides Dracula. Um, you know, uh, uh, his me- metal Christmas album being probably the yeah. high point of his.
3: <laughs> but I, I doubt yeah. he's done anything that. With more duration than that, you right? Know?
0: Well, although you know, we've probably spent almost as much time doing Lord of the Rings, yeah, as in a ways that's, yeah, that's as you true. might do Dracula. Uh, but um, just any other thoughts on kind of where vampire movies might be going, or something that you might like to see, you know, in a future vampire movie?
3: Do you boys want to start that? Or?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think uh, what we do in the shadows is like almost a good indicator because, like, we are in the postmodern era with film. Uh, and I think it will be a lot more of that kind of and and not even in a comedy sense, mm-hmm. but more of this uh, hybridization of the vampire genre with different films I mean like you look at the universal monster thing like they're bringing that into the this idea of uh, cinematic universes and uh uh so I think I think we'll definitely be getting more variety on uh what the vampire means to cinema now whether or not that maintains the true spirit of what vampire is in film that kind of remains to be seen but I think uh we'll definitely be going through a time of uh exploration with them mm-hmm. uh in the next fifteen twenty years
0: yeah I think we're getting that a little bit already with um you know the strain i don't know if you've watched seen the strain at all mm-hmm. um Guillermo del toro's series on fX uh which he actually wrote as a book um series first three there's three novels um but you know, he's totally exploring a different kind of vampire and, and vampirism as a medical uh as a disease that's passed on through um, you know, these little worms and things like that. And uh um but that that hasn't always you know, that's not totally new. Even in uh again in near dark, um, they cure the vampires with just blood transfusions. You know, there's like we'll just give you a transfusion, get the vampire yeah. blood out, doesn't matter how long you've been a vampire, you know, they can transfuse it out so
2: uh, but, you that, know, that was also in, like, uh, uh, Daybreakers, right?
0: Yeah, in Daybreakers, they, there's, it's a cure because Willem Dafoe was a vampire before and is cured. And mm-hmm. even in Blade, um, Trinity, which you know, we don't like to talk about, but <laughs> Ryan Reynolds, you know, is a former vampire and uh, – um, a lot of people think Ryan Reynolds is the worst part of that movie, but I think he's the the only good yeah. part. <laughs> um, but it's kind of pre Deadpool Ryan Reynolds uh, acting in, Ryan in Blade is Trinity all over the place. Yeah. Like, love him, but all over the place. <laughs> well, he's the comic relief for sure in the in in that Blade movie. And that's right before Wesley Snipes went to prison for a while. So, um, but uh, yeah, the, but the strain has this whole idea of you know the vampires have different physiology and it changes their physiology completely. Um, over and I, and I think we'll see a lot more of that kind of idea. And he actually started that with Blade in Blade Two, the vampires in Blade Two, uh, which Del Toro directed, and had that same idea of they have the stinger that pops out, you know, as opposed to just fangs. And it's it's totally changing kind of the idea. Um, and of course today we have psychic vampires, in which in, in real life, yeah, um, these people who, who claim to be psychic vampires and uh, there's emotional vampires, and there's there's so many different ways that you can you can take it. But I do like a lot of those films, like Daybreakers, like Thirty Days of Night, that are changing the genre. And Thirty Days of Night went back to that just focused vampire. They're just there to kill everybody. Yeah, yeah. they don't care about anything. They're not they're not looking for a romance. They're not looking to be friends. They're not trying to. Fit in and go to high school for the 80th time. Or.
2: Yeah. Well, and, and, and think, think about something like what you were mentioning with The Strain is like this idea of uh, we're definitely in an age of technology. Mm-hmm. And so I think that will also uh, uh, kind of uh, work with the vampire genre as well. Because like there's this idea of being stuck, you know, uh, in the same time period. Because like a lot of like vampires you see on screen are the same as they were uh, when they were first turned, right. like not not just physically, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like emotionally as well, um, and so it's going to be like this idea of the old world conflicting mm-hmm. uh, with new technology that I think we'll be getting a lot more with. And and I'd
0: like to see a black mirror vampire. That'd be pretty cool. I kind
2: of <laughs> disagree
3: with the the it being basic technology because I feel like the the charm of the vampire is that the old world's other. So what we may see a lot of is the the breaking down of technology, and a different rise of a different power. Same kind of thing that you have with like the Walking Dead kind of things. It's, it's a apocalyptic thing. Like everything was fine. We had all these great resources. What if we get those all stripped away? What do we have left? We have this primitive old world kind of mentality as for the like that's where i think vampires i think it can really go anywhere because mm-hmm. we have so many different creative people making creative choices that it could go in that direction that you were talking about spencer Wood's well ideology. yeah that, that's mm-hmm. more what i was going with that but i do think the thing that will legitimately like i i, I almost fully believe like no matter what will happen is that the actual story of dracula mm-hmm. will not go anywhere because mm-hmm. for 120 years that has been such a prevalent part of culture And there's been reiterations of that every 10 years, like, almost on the dot. Sure. So while it may not be the idea of, like, oh, let's retake vampires and put in a new setting, that actual story, there are certain texts that are, I hate the idea of, like, classical texts, but, like, our universal texts that everyone knows. The idea of, like, Moby Dick and Hmm. Tom Sawyer, these kind of storylines are so ingrained in the basis of our culture that so much of new culture are based around these stories and I think stuff like Frankenstein and Dracula there's qualities of that that are so prevalent everywhere that a retelling of the story just as it is will not go away because even as like the idea of the vampire story Mm -hmm. like the idea of vampires the the shape-shifting man Mm -hmm. right that's made the deal with the devil like that's a thousand and thousand year old story that just always takes on new forms but really at the root of it's the same story Mm
0: -hmm. yeah I think the you know, you know, say the Anne Rice TV series, which come up, could could do a really good job of combining all those things. Because mm. if it's set in modern day, and that's you know, in uh, her character, that's how he he kind of goes through into the modern day. I mean, at the end of Interview with the Vampire, you know, he's a rock star, and that's where Queen of the Damned, which is yeah, I've only it's such a long movie, I only watch half of it. <laughs> um, kind of goes, but uh, you know, it could totally go there. And we see, you know, there is technology. If you take like Blade Two or Daybreakers where the vampires are very technologically advanced and they have their farms, you know, where they're farming the humans like in the Matrix. Yeah. You know, almost they've that's how they've got it kind of set up. It's a it's a common thing. So some or, or in underworld, I mean they're old world but they're also technological. You know, they're yeah. This, yeah. they've got kind of both um uh ideas going, um and I you know, I don't know if those movies are ever gonna stop either. Yeah, they yeah. probably should the Underworld franchise. Yes, oh. <laughs> no, it's not stopping. I saw I'm the, the big the, fan
3: of Kate Beckinsale. Oh yeah, more Kate Beckinsale <laughs> the, the, in the life.
0: This this last one, I don't know. You know, it's just kind of like, oh yeah. right, there we go. <laughs> no,
3: they're, they're not that great, but Kate Beckinsale amazing. <laughs> I'm great. I'm fine with her, being <laughs> everything. All
0: right, so um, Sam, so, yeah, so I just appreciate you guys being. Uh, being here and allowing me to come in. Yeah, so, thank you for being on our um, show as well. Everybody should uh, definitely listen to both uh, both episodes. On, um, uh, on They are different. Yeah, different. they are different. Right. How about that? we talked just about Bram Stoker's Dracula by Francis Ford Coppola. Um, the uh, Or Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> you can get all the names in there. Got to um, all in. And, uh, you know, so it's uh, two very different shows, and I encourage everybody to listen to the How About That podcast. And, um, you know, to other podcasts in the area. I found out about you guys, actually, from the fact that you were on the cast very briefly. And I had met her the same day. Yeah. But I was there right before that. And uh, um, didn't actually get on her show. But she was recording. But um, Oh, yeah. We had a, we, we had a double take. Guys, I, a I take heard yours. Yeah, yeah, I heard that.
3: Drop. Got dropped out. But when there, I saw it, she said something she about, on. oh, there's
0: another podcast in the area. And I was like, well, they're in Denton. I'm in Denton. <laughs> yeah. she together, you know. I'll so, say,
3: beyond... Uh, there's beyond the podcast that like we are involved in. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a couple others that I do work with that are just friends of ours. I only know of one other actual podcast uh, in Denton until you <laughs> came to us, and it was a yeah. it was just a local house venue does a podcast about bands in town. Mm-hmm. But like actually like film based thing mm-hmm. or like horror based, you're the only other person that oh. we found in Denton. We <laughs> made that joke on our podcast about right. being the the like the best and only horror podcast in <laughs> den, and that's no longer true we're now <laughs> second well, to you Yeah, I,
0: I, I don't get into movies as often as i uh, as i probably could but um uh, so you guys can keep the the horror, <laughs> the film, horror film genre yeah, yeah, and i'll take the folklore ours. one Yeah, you know, Yeah. or the, find
2: out there's like a dozen of them in Yeah, there. they're probably <laughs> just, totally could be not be not aware of us <laughs> right. yeah.
0: there's 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 so many these days and yeah. uh, and so different in the uh, you know, I, I and sometimes when I do a folklore episode, I'm like, you know, I'm just going to compare myself to Lore, though, which is like the, you know, one of the biggest that yeah, we started our, I started my podcast almost the same time as the guy who does Lore does. He's making, uh, about $12,000 a month just off of his Patreon account. And I'm like, I got to record another different episode this year or you know, <laughs> something like that. So, yeah, you know, it's the podcasting is so interesting and so different and, uh, I just uh, yeah. appreciate it. So tell us uh, how to get to your um, podcast or your websites or whatever it is you want.
3: So uh, our podcast, you can find it on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, and SoundCloud are our main places to do that. We have a website that for some reason we're not able to post to anymore, oh, but great. it's howlaboutthat.com. So if you want to see like the first half of our show, mm-hmm. it's on that, the <laughs> second half. Not yet, but uh, iTunes is the best way to do it because everyone's got iTunes somewhere on either their <laughs> phone or their laptop or you know SoundCloud as well. But uh, I did want to say, you know, beyond just folklore, mm-hmm. you—the fact that you on your show you cover the full history of that—is mm-hmm. really awesome because nobody else really has that area of expertise. I feel like so the fact that you can mm-hmm. come in with all this knowledge, you've done this research. Like I like that on our show, beyond just talking about that one individual film, you knew the history of mm-hmm. just Dracula as a film, you know, character and as a storyline, and I think that is. I think you, I think you have the cornerstone on the horror <laughs> on the horror like dissecting here because you well, I do have the uh, we have I'm pretty the film sure I have base. the only you have everything you have the lore the story behind it all like it's awesome. I have the
0: only podcast I think on iTunes that's only about vampires in general there's a ton of vampire diaries podcasts, oh
3: yeah oh I'm sure
0: you know and, I'm sure. Uh, and and True Blood and things like that but I have the only one that's just only about you know there's a lot of podcasts that have a vampire episode yeah that's kind of how I got started I was like. I was, do- I was researching for a-, a lecture, and I was, like, searching vampires on podcasts, and I was like, oh, these guys have, you know, like, Stuff You Should Know has a vampire episode. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, Or this folklore guy has a Dracula episode, and I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to these. I could do this. I could just do all about this. So yeah, that's kind of how I fell into it, too. But, yeah, but it's been great, and hopefully, maybe we'll do, I'm sure we'll do more stuff. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, uh, um, you know, I'm sure we'll see each other. Are you guys going to Famous Monsters? in next week, next weekend?
3: Uh, I'd love to, but my job yeah. will not allow me to do that. Uh, yeah. we, we found out about that kind of late in the game. Uh, yeah, we, yeah, we, we only t- heard about well, it Well, everybody week. did
0: because it was, I mean, it was up until about three weeks ago, it was Alien Expo. Oh, really? <laughs> and then Famous Monsters took it over, and it's, uh, I only it's still not, it not really week. even about monsters. Yeah. It's, you know, Star Trek, uh, the lone gunman from X-Files, but they've got Boris Karloff's daughter, so that's where they're getting the Famous Monsters, and they have the guy from the Creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, the actual actor,
3: oh, wow. who's that's awesome. must be very old, yeah, uh,
0: is going to uh, be there. But huh. yeah, so everybody, that's going on. Famous Monsters, but um, come to the World Dracula Day first. It ends right before yeah. the Famous Monsters Convention starts, so
3: perfect time. Um, you, you can both, find that, but uh, the same day.
0: As always, you can find this podcast at thevampirestoryn dot com, or again on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, all those places. Um, you can email me at gmail dot com if you have any questions, or Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All right. We'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks, guys.
3: Thank you.